HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're exploring interactions from drug studies in a laboratory. If this effect is as big as he's saying, somebody should have discovered this long before he did. To global wisdom on avoiding hangovers. Beber cerveza antes de tomar vino no previene los síntomas. Beer before wine, you're going to be fine. Wine before beer, you're going to be queer. To the novel recipes developed by an Indian-American family deep in the heart of Texas. And then my mom's sort of coming to America and learning that uh, white parents love to melt cheese on things to get their kids to eat it. She was like, this is genius. <laughs> Be sure to subscribe to Meat in 3. That's M-E-A-T plus sign T-H-R-E-E. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, and welcome to A Taste of the Past. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, on this journey through culinary history. And today we're going to talk about a super grain, not just a super grain, an ancient grain, an ancient grain from West Africa. And my guest today is Pierre Thiam. Pierre is a New York City-based Senegalese chef. Uh, He's a restaurateur, an author, an entrepreneur, and a culinary ambassador. As a leading advocate for responsible tourism, as well as a spokesperson for the rich culinary history of Africa and its diaspora, Chef Tiam has heightened the profile of West African cuisine in the United States. In fact, we can say that he was a pioneering chef of West African cuisine here in America. His new mission is to popularize the African supergrain fonio in the U.S. and help farmers across the Sahel region through his new company, Yolele Foods, a purpose-driven African food company. Born and raised in Dakar, Senegal, Pierre has spent the past 20-plus years in New York. As I said, as a pioneer chef, he has opened and operated a couple of different restaurants in New York City, and he recently opened his casual restaurant, Taranga, inside Harlem's Africa Center. His pan-African fine dining menu brings an elevated experience of the African diaspora onto the table. 
He is currently the co-founder of Yolele Foods, and I just found out from him, he just returned from Barcelona, where he helped design a new menu for the Cotton House Hotel in Barcelona. Pierre has authored two groundbreaking cookbooks. His first book, Yolele, Recipes from the Heart of Senegal, was nominated final it was, was a nominated finalist uh, for the IACP Julia Child Cookbook Award as well as a special jury award winner at Gourmand World Cookbook in Paris and his um, he's current it's currently featured in the cultural expressions section of the Smithsonian's new museum of African American history and culture his second book is Senegal modern senegalese recipes from the source to the Bowl, and that was nominated for a James Beard Award for Best International Cookbook. Tim's been, uh, Pierre, has been featured on television and has contributed to most of the major journals, magazines, and newspapers here in this country, and he recently delivered a TED Talk not long ago about the supergrain fonio. He is a leading advocate for world hunger alleviation, responsible tourism, as well as spokesperson, as I said before, for the culinary history of Africa and its diaspora. Um, Adam Gopnik, Pierre, wrote about you that you remind us of why gastronomy, when it's rich as all of this, is really a form of intimate anthropology. And that's kind of how I like to deal with topics on this show, because we talk about culinary history. And I thought that that was that particular um, quote, that gastronomy is really a form of intimate anthropology, is so accurate, particularly with what you've been doing. I mean, we in this country didn't really know about the particular dishes of West Africa until you have really landed on the scene and now you say that you are kind of moving aside and making a way making way for a lot of new young chefs to to rise up you can tell me about that a little bit um, are there are there there are many more that have come in your footsteps right oh absolutely absolutely and uh, there's going to be even many many more either from the, the african diaspora or, or even chefs from uh, just normal chefs who are just interested in what's happening in this side of the world because it's our nature chefs to be uh, curious and to look for the the next thing or, or new some flavors new flavors mm. exactly that's just what keeps us going well somebody had once said that the new the newest the, the newest hot cuisine everyone's trying to you know make predictions on what's the new best the new next best thing a couple of, and it was a couple of years ago but i'm really seeing it grain gain a lot more traction now and they said west african cuisine that's the new hot hot cuisine for us to be looking towards yeah absolutely i'm not surprised about that that's uh there's so much coming from that part of the world that's still unknown i mean i've traveled i still i'm still growing and learning and i travel around west africa um a couple times a year every time i'm learning i'm getting some new inspiration and you know it also another thing is it's a it's a it's an ancient cuisine it's been around for some time people um, sometimes don't make the connection but southern cuisine has its inspiration from west africa when you talk about the whole like south of uh, the us and even Latin America, you see hmm. those influences are very, very strong. Yeah. So, yeah. It's well, I can see that particularly with all the different um, 
spice combinations and, mm-hmm. and not necessarily spicy food, but no, the di- no. but the spice combinations and and vegetable forward. Absolutely, and grains and I mean the way we use it, certain certain ingredients. Nothing is wasted in our cuisine. Mm-hmm. Like sweet potato leaves become a dish. You know, cassava leaves become a dish, and other things. You know, okra. Uh, black eyed peas, you name it. I mean, so many different ingredients that arrive in this continent through the Middle Passage. So that's also West African influence. Yeah. Well, when you talk about the Middle Passage, that's the slave trade. Exactly. And, and that's mm-hmm. right. And, you know, it's interesting because you talk about that. I think you talked about that a lot in your first book. Yes. Yeah, right. In your whole chapter, actually, right. whole chapter was dedicated to that cuisine. Um, and as much as a lot of those dishes and influences were brought here at that time. Then a lot of those influences traveled back the other way. I mean, originally, what? Tell, tell us a little back, bit of background about West African cuisine, um, Senegalese, and, and the others and differences. Yes. Sorry. Bless you. It's allergy season. <laughs> allergy yes. season. Yeah, I'm very much <laughs> sensitive to it. Um, West African cuisine. Um, it's it's a vague topic. It's really uh, it's a it's a it's a part of the continent that's as as large as, as um, Western Europe, and uh, uh, Senegal in particular. Since the cuisine is connected with the environment, of course, Senegal is south of the Sahel. The Sahel is like um, that band south of the Sahara Desert. So it's the, the 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 northern part of Senegal is quite dry. And the southern part is a bit more lush, so the cuisine varies because the ingredients mm. change, you know. But because of the, uh, the position of Senegal as the coastal, western, most western coastal country in Africa, we have a lot of seafood on our menu, mm-hmm. which you won't see in other parts like Mali, which is landlocked, for instance, another country called Mali, or Guinea, which is also has a coast, but not as prominent as Senegal is. We also use a lot of grains. In our diet, rice is a big part, you know, because of the colonial past. And this is how um, I can um, uh, connect with Adam Gopnik quote, you know, because uh, when you look at our plate, we can also see a history, you know, around the plate, just right. looking at the ingredients. So the rice, the rice that we use in Senegal arrived in, in, from, in, funny enough, from Indochina, from, mm. the, from Vietnam. Even though we have a, a rice culture in the south, but that's just limited to the southern region. The French started importing broken rice to Senegal, and uh, because the Vietnamese were using it as you know, they cleaned their rice and they had the leftovers. Those are the leftovers, the rice debris that the French would bring to Senegal, hmm. and we embraced it, you know, because it just came from the French, and we were brainwashed to believe that everything that comes from elsewhere is better than what we have. So even today, we still have that broken rice as like a key ingredient in our national dish, the chebujen, which is a sort of a paella rice cooked in a tomato broth. Chebujen, I like the way you say it. Chebujen is like, it's a lovely dish. It's one of my favorite dishes. Lots of vegetables, root vegetables and cabbage and okra, but with a fish. Fish is a meaty fish that's stuffed with a spiced parsley mixture. And it's cooked in this broth very slowly, like a tomato broth, similar to what an Italian mama broth would look like. And once that uh, fish is cooked and the vegetables are cooked, then the rice is cooked in the same broth. So imagine the the flavors. So you have dirty rice. You have dirty yeah, rice. Yeah. And, and in addition, it's flavored with fermented um, conch, you know, which is a way yeah. of Senegalese of doing the conch. We ferment it 
in a in a brine and then it just brings this umami flavor yeah to earthy that, real uh, deep very earthy, yeah, yeah so yeah. It's, it's a great dish but we also have beside rice we also have couscous but our couscous is made out of millet millet as opposed to wheat couscous but the same con- um, it's the consistency as mm-hmm. the, the moroccan couscous very fine and we serve that couscous either with a you know broth or with lamb or with a leafy sauce like moringa which is another super 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 food and uh, many other uh, greens can accompany that that's couscous so that's a that's another grain that you see in mostly in the middle part of Senegal like the Serer region they call mm. it the Serer ethnic group um other than that you have fonio of course which is a grain that you see in the southern part of Senegal that you don't really see in the north yet that's a, a great grain not only is nutritious but it's also great for the environment It's a grain that grows without much water. And I guess I'm going through your next questions. No, that, that's quite all right. Yeah, we will get to that more in depth. But that So mm-hmm. that's another grain. An, mm-hmm. another. So grain, it is a grain, for, you know, a, a lot of grains in the, in the, yes. In the cuisine. Yes, in Senegal. Yeah. In other parts of West Africa, it's less grains and more like dumplings. You know, you have like in Nigeria, they, what they call uh, yam dumpling. They, they pounded yam, they call it. Or they call it also fufu. Mm-hmm. In uh, Cote d'Ivoire, they do the similar dumpling, but instead of Yam, they use uh, uh, plantain, and you have it in you know that that pound. well manioc, the, the, which you know, also called manioc. The manioc, yeah, yeah, yeah. You also manioc it's as a fufu, well. Yeah, right. fufu manioc. Yeah. yeah, we do fufu manioc, fufu yam, fufu plantain. Yeah, there's like different, but all the fufu concept is definitely a big part of uh, West African cuisine. You also see it in South Africa. They right. do it with corn pap. They call it in in Kenya. They call it ugali. So it's like it's a variation. But the grains are typical from Senegalese. They, we don't do much dumplings. We do lots of grains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the sauces. I mean the a lot of souring agents used mm-hmm. to in the sauce too oh, which yes. balances out i think a lot of that um yes a, a lot of those other spices that are in there totally it's tamarind nice. is yeah, one of them tamarind. tamarind actually dakar the name dakar means tamarind in wolof so that's like oh does it okay it, yeah. well now you say wolof okay so the influences the french obviously you know you were colonized by by the french and uh-huh. and stayed under their thumb till, <laughs> till, <laughs> till 1960 till, right, till, till now I should yeah, say economically yeah absolutely economically yeah. Yeah. Um, but tell me about the influences on on the foods and the cuisines all the different traders and, and people who came through what it's it's quite a broad influence that oh, the yes. cuisine has right yes and that's also due to our geographical location because Dakar is like the entrance of Africa in a sense it was the port that many, many uh, mariners arrived through, you know, like Portuguese, they've been coming, Dutch, they've been coming like, you know, since like the 1100s, I mean, all the way down. It's like they hit everywhere. I mean. <laughs> they hit everywhere. They've been, they've been everywhere. And, uh, and they, each, each culture, when they come, they also bring a part of their food. You know, food is like something you travel with. That's the thing you, you don't want to leave behind. Yeah. Again, no. back to anthropology. I mean, you, how do you learn about people? You learn about people through their food, their right? Food. And so they brought their food with them. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, So some stayed, you know, in the south of Senegal, for instance, Casamance, you have the Portuguese influence that's still there. You know, Casamance, as a matter of fact, stands for Casa de Mansa. You know, that's like a Portuguese name with like some local language uh, hmm. dialect. So, and they, we still speak Portuguese Creole. As a matter of fact, my mother would speak Portuguese Creole to me growing up. 
because she's from that region. Huh. But in Casamance, you'd see dishes that still have some Portuguese connotation, like caldo. You know, caldo is one of the dishes. Uh, you know, and um, you know, in the you have pastels. You know, pastels you see them pretty much everywhere. Street food in Senegal, so but it still has a Portuguese influence. Um, the French influence is obvious because the French been there for 500 years. So you have uh, one of the iconic one is the baguette. You know, the the street baguettes. Yeah. Every street corner of Senegal, not even Dakar, but street Senegal would sell fresh baguette on a daily basis, <laughs> I mean, pretty much. <laughs> and we'll have it for breakfast, you know, that's like those things. Yeah, and unfortunately, we don't grow wheat, so that's... A, that's a, the, the, yeah, that's a little difficult. That's yeah, difficult. You need that from someone. <laughs> but yeah, and we, so we managed to, to, to have our baguette every day, fresh baguette, delicious baguette too, really delicious. Um, we have a Vietnamese influence, because uh, when the French left Indochina, you know, there was the French colonial army was called Les Tirailleurs Senegalais. That was the Senegalese, uh, uh, mainly West African soldiers, but they called them Senegalese soldiers. And mm. they were in Vietnam, in Indochina at the time. And when they left, they came back to Senegal with immigrants from Vietnam. So a community of Vietnamese moved to Senegal and they're still there over you know, a few generations now. And they brought their cuisine, of course. And, and they also know. brought probably a lot of their baking background from the French. Oh, too, yeah. Well, right? yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we, we had both the baking yeah. background, you know, from the French. But the Vietnamese, I mean, like, take an example, is like the Vietnamese spring rolls that we call nem in Senegal, and they call nem in Vietnam That's as well. That's right. Yeah. Every nem birthing ceremony in Senegal or weddings would have nems on the menu or, or just like events, you know. So it's like... A, and you have also street food, Vietnamese street food in Senegal. You also have lots of Vietnamese restaurants as well. So, so it didn't remain so much an ethnic cuisine, but you adopted it, oh, and yeah. and it just became part of the about the cultural. Absolutely, it became uh, part menu. of the culture. I mean, some of them kept their personality. The Vietnamese blended a little better, um, but you have the Lebanese. Actually, there's a strong Lebanese influence, a strong Lebanese community. The, but you go to a Lebanese restaurant, you know that you go into Lebanese restaurants, and they they occupy the territory in downtown but um, we also have uh, Lebanese dishes like um, like not uh, falafel um, fataya fataya is our version of Viet- uh, Senegalese Vietnamese uh, Senegalese Lebanese sorry it's, uh, so this uh, turnover is filled with meat spiced meat inside mm. It's typical of Lebanese cuisine, but Senegalese also adopted it like they did with the Vietnamese spring rolls. So we just take influences from different parts and we add it to our own influence and our own cuisine uh, becomes even richer, you know, which is uh, what uh, what uh, that anthropology we're talking about. When we look yeah. at our plate, we see all these stories. That That's are, right. Yeah, it's yeah. a world on a plate. Exactly. Amazing. Yeah. It is amazing. Uh, you know, and it's interesting, so many of the dishes um, have that that rich-looking sauce, and whether it's a, 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 veget, a vegetarian mm-hmm. dish and sauce, and or fish, or chicken, or beef, chicken, or lamb, yeah. oh, a lot of lamb, or right? Peanut sauce, lamb, it's, yeah. But it, mm-hmm. it is very Middle Eastern-looking, and also very Southern uh, French-looking, and you know that you can see. I mean, even though the spice, the flavors might vary a little bit, you can see the um, the semblances of of the different dishes mm-hmm. throughout the country. That's yes, yes, and, but it's still yet yeah, it's still still its own cuisine too. I mean, yeah, it's, still, oh yeah. Yeah, it's very much our um, our way of eating. Our, our food culture is is uh, is quite unique. I mean, in Senegal, for instance, 
you know, we eat, we tend to eat around the bowl, you know, it's not like individual plates on the table. We sit like on a straw mats on the floor and then the bowl comes and the dish is presented in a way that, you know, you have a blanket of grains and then you have the meat and the vegetables and the sauce usually in the center and and everyone just imagine a triangle in front of himself you know and that's how you eat you know there's like this etiquette of eating around the bowl without going and the other people's sides and you wait until the mother just distributes the meat or the vegetables to different sections of the bowl the mother or whoever cooked the, the meal does the distribution so that's a that's a beautiful way of eating because it's like it's sharing you know, and trusting because you, you're just sharing this one bowl with the same people. Oftentimes we eat with our hands as well, with our right hand. So it's, it's really like there's a communion, intimacy, mm. you know, you, you and the Very ingredients. Very intimate, right. Very much so. So you get a little piece of the meat or whatever, the main things, and then scoop up, scoop up the grain on yeah, the way exactly. to your mouth, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you just arrange it, your own portion with your own fingers. Right, and, right. Oh, that's excellent. Um, you... I was reading something that you had, because um, I wanted to ask you about some of the differences in, in the different dishes, which you described a little bit earlier on, um, in different, some of the different countries. But then you made a comment about, well, they're borders, but that really doesn't mean anything. Or the borders were just put on you, given to you, and they're not really borders. Tell me a little bit about that your philosophy on that one? Well, I mean, it comes from two different, uh, 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 there's different contexts. I mean, yes, I do believe that food transcends borders and it's a, it's, a, it's a fact now. It's just looking at the phenomenon of food in, and the, the, in the, how people accept other food cultures more readily. But uh, in Africa in particular, it's just uh, those borders are artificial. You know, those borders were never real until in the, in those the colonial empires sat in in Berlin as what they call the infamous Berlin Conference, hmm. and that's where they decided to divide Africa in like okay the French own you this get this part yeah. you get that part <laughs> exactly. right <laughs> exactly and that's that's something as ridiculous as that that became yeah. our borders and today we are still going by those those lines that were drawn you know without any of our. Uh, interest in in mind you know and so that's uh that's where the that's where the food comes to to just shadow all these borders you know because the food and culture in general but just because you know you go from one section to another i'll give you one example senegal and gambia gambia is a country that if you look at the map of senegal gambia is inside senegal you know for for me who were born and raised in dakar uh, born in Dakar, to go to my grandparents' land in the south in Kazamas, I'd have to go through another, another country. country. <laughs> I'd have, it's ridiculous. I'd have to go through another country. I had to go through customs and then and so, and yet that's the same culture. You know, our culture. We speak the same language. We eat the same food. We you know we have the same last names and mm-hmm. everything. So so that's the the, 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 the how, how how ridiculous this situation yeah. is and, and you know food and culture just transcend those. Right. Well certainly there are regional differences, but that can all be within the context of one country. Yes. It doesn't have to be divided up into right. so many different Totally. I mean even the, 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 the regional differences weren't even often considered when those those borders were being established, you know. It was just a matter of like, okay, you know, you get this and I get that. Yeah. You know? right, <laughs> okay. right. Well, it's, I mean, it's, it's fascinating because it's such a rich, the whole, <clears throat> all the different countries have such a rich culture. Oh, yeah. And uh, I just, you know, love just looking at the photographs of, of 
people going about their daily lives. I mean, much like us too. I mean, you know, you get in your car, you go to work, you know, in the the big cities like Uh, Dakar. I mean, that's a, that's a big bustling city. Right. But, you know, but then if you go into the, the homes and the smaller regions and just, I love that there are such cultural differences because so much is getting some, so much of the cultural uniqueness in many countries is getting kind of wiped out. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like traveling in the United States from coast to coast. That's a huge territory to cover. And it's pretty much the same so thing the same. from one coast oh, to the same. next. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's sad, you know, it's, uh, it's really, you know, we, we have to figure out a way to, to, to slow this down because there's so much that's being lost, particularly those cultures in, in, in Africa have been around for thousands of years. I mean, this heritage that we just couldn't see being wiped out in, in, in a generation. Yeah. Oh. And that's what's happening. You know, language is disappearing. You know, the recipe is disappearing. Ingredients that are disappearing, the biodiversity. I mean, right. It's all being affected. And yes, it's going to be like a whole big mole now, the world. And I mean, UNESCO is making an effort to, yeah. to kind of save, if not, you know, uh, document and, and codify, but sort of save mm. those, you know, those cultural yes, differences. Important. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to take a brief break, and when we come back, then we're going to start that discussion about Fonio. Okay. So stay tuned. <laughs> Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Diane Stemple. And I'm Elena Santagade, and we're the hosts of Cutting the Curd here on Heritage Radio Network. Featuring interviews with makers and mongers and everybody in between, this show is a downright funky look at the world of artisan cheese. You can find Cutting the Curd wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, we're back, and I am talking with... Pierre Thiam, Pierre, who is a West African, uh, West African by birth from Senegal, and is uh, a chef and a, an ambassador for West African cuisine and culture. And Tiam, as I said earlier in your introduction, your new mission is um, is really this. You co-founded this company called Yolele Foods. Tell me what the company's about, what your mission is, what you're doing, and then we'll talk about the focus of that. Well, uh, Yolele Foods actually came from, it was an organic happening, really. I've written cookbooks, and whenever I was writing my cookbooks, I always dedicated a page, a couple of pages for the sourcing of the ingredients. You know, ingredients had to be sourced in a way that wasn't as easy for, you know, regular books because it's mostly African ingredients. 
and then I thought, you know, there was these ingredients that are that are really amazing that I would like to make it more readily accessible for for the for the my the readers of my book or whoever was curious about West African cuisine. And there was no no West African grocery store that you could go and yeah, pick not, them up I, I mean, there were a few mom and pops one you'd see, but mostly catering to the immigrants community. So I would like to, my goal was to make it accessible to, to you and mm-hmm. to, to everybody else. That was the idea. And I wanted it to be quality, you know, to, to really change the, the mindset of like just bringing ingredients that are just like just everything from the packaging to the processing, not really up to the standards that, you know, um, Americans, New Yorkers, consumers deserve at, at large, you know. So, yeah, that's how Your Lady Foods came to be. I partnered with uh, Philippe Tevro, who's a veteran in the food industry as well. And uh, my first uh, product was Fonio. Fonio was uh, a first one for, for many reasons. You know, I wanted uh, to open markets for cooperatives, for women-owned cooperatives for the most part in West Africa. And they are the ones who are processing and, and packaging fonio and actually who single-handedly saved this ancient grain by just keeping it going. Because it's a grain that requires a lot of work to process. You know, it was mostly done by hand, you know, with a mortar and pestle, you know, and to to process at that rate two kilos of fonio, you would have like a couple of hours easily of work. So, wow. you know, so that was, yeah. So if you see fonio, you know, growing, if someone handed you a, a sheaf of, basically it looks like grass or any, or wheat, yeah. or like a very small grain wheat, right? Very small grain, it's tiny, it's tiny grain, tiny looks like grain. wheat, yeah. yeah. And so this all has to be, Hold and threshed and hold and, and right. separated by hand. Hmm. Well, back then it was done by hand. Luckily, the mechanization arrived now and it's, it's easier to process. And that's why uh, Your Lady Foods came into action to not only help in securing the markets for the, the, the local farmers to the America. You know, we partnered with Woodland Foods for now. That's who's our distributor hmm. around around the country. And uh, and now we are even getting involved with the supply at the supply level and equipping the farmers and buying the, their product at a, a fair trade uh, cost. And this is really like a, a beautiful mission. The way it's unfolding, uh, I'm just uh, I'm, I'm fascinated. I knew there was a, a market for that. You know, I didn't know how fast it would take off, and it's been a really great reaction. Um, you you said that the grain is very easy to grow, mm-hmm. and it does it grows in the united states as well i mean can you know can is it grown in the united states uh, the idea is to keep it growing in west africa the right. idea is to definitely uh, learn from the quinoa lesson i mean we just really want to make sure the, the, the ultimate beneficiary would be the small farmers in, in West Africa and those women-owned cooperatives. It can probably well, so our state. listeners don't are maybe not aware of the quinoa issue. What happened? The quinoa just blew up and became so popular. Yes. And what happened then? It just uh, it got co-opted uh, by by big 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 agri big uh, and and those big industries just grew it for their own selves, you know. And not only they outpriced the farmers, the local farmers in Peru and uh, Chile. But they, you know, it, it boom followed the bust, of course, and, and now it's like um, many of the countries could have benefited better than than what's happened right now mm. for, for quinoa. So for us, so like quinoa, fonio is ancient. It is. Yeah, it's yeah. been around for. Oh, even more ancient. Quinoa has been ancient for, for around for three three thousand years, and fonio five thousand years now. So five thousand could oh. be the oldest cultivated grain in in the African continent. Hmm. Mm. 
Um, now you said that you that your hope is to keep so to to keep the farmers in in that region, the West African region, growing um, the Fine, grain. Uh-huh. It need, it's drought tolerant, correct? It's drought tolerant, and it grows quite easily. Actually, it's, uh, the farmers has been uh, the old method uh, of growing fonio is just by throwing it on the ground when after the first rain. They call it the lazy farmer's crop for that reason. It's, it's just you just throw the seed, and you just wait for the for the harvest. I mean that's pretty much that's how easy it is. And then the difficulty comes in the processing part, but the growing is is quite easy. And uh, and that's uh, that's because it's so easy and it grows so fast. It became uh, the grain farmers could rely upon when the rainy season is not good or the other crops didn't make it. Fonio always makes it once you plant it. So, yeah. Well, now I um, I have a little bit left because I used <laughs> the rest that was one of the uh, uh, employees gave to me. Um, it cooks up. Well, it's it's actually milled so that it's uh, you know you just have the the small grains right mm-hmm. in a package, and then, well, that's the size of the grain. That's the grain. Yeah, yeah. It is so tiny. Yeah. And cooks up in. Absolutely no time. You no don't have time. to cook it five minutes. You just exactly. boil the water and then take it off the heat and put the lid on, just like couscous. I mean, it, pretty much. Leave yeah. it alone, right? Leave it alone. And then it is so delicate. Totally. Unbelievably delicate, and a little bit of a sweetness uh-huh. to it and as well. It, yeah. it it is really astounding. Um, it, but my question is, what about not only just you know supplying this and, and selling this? But giving people ideas of dishes for uses, mm-hmm. are, are, is that happening as well? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. And it's, it's quite easy with fonio because that's a versatile grain. I mean, what you can do with fonio is you take any recipes, any of your favorite recipes, and you switch the grain with fonio. So whether it's rice or couscous. Rice, or, couscous. How does it really differ from... Um, mill, and millet's a little bit of a larger grain. It's still mm-hmm. tiny. Yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's the same family, actually. It's the same family. It's a the variation, same. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's, a, it's much tinier, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Um, where So this company, you launched the company in 2017. Um, there are other companies selling Fonio as well, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a few other companies, yeah. And what makes you, what, what differentiates your company from theirs? Oh, our, our company, hmm. our Fonio is actually... Uh, you notice if you buy fonio in the market, that's not your lele foods fonio. Oftentimes, it's greedy. You know, it's it mm. due to the the processing. So we we're working with cooperatives. We really follow up the the processing of the cooperatives before we select them to sell the fonio from from those companies. So our fonio is clean, it comes up clean, and uh, also oftentimes our and other companies they give you the fonio that's not. Uh, steam before, so we do. We also do a steaming effect before. So, so all it's those quick cooking, it's yeah. quick cooking. Yeah. So, so that's that's the big difference between our fonio and the other fonio. There are different varieties. I read of fonio upon you know, depending on the region that it's grown in. The- yeah, I mean there are two major fonio fonio varieties: the white and the black fonio. And you also have fonios that are grown for a longer period of time, depending on uh, the region where the latitude where it's being grown. So mm. some can go from two months, as fast as two months, to three months. You know, so that's uh, also the, the, the variations. So they can get a crop in two months. Oh yes, and, yes. and then harvest it. Wow. Yes. Um, Yolele Foods. Well, I, I have to talk about the name first because you have this wonderful 
habit, no, <laughs> but <laughs> tradition of you know naming your restaurants and your cookbooks and your uh, uh, after particular names that are are very uplifting. Yolele means let the good times roll. Let the good times roll. Wow, yes. What could be wrong? Now that was your first restaurant. That as was well, my right? first restaurant. Yeah. That's the Fulani word. You know, for different reasons, not only for the meaning of it, but the Fulani, the people who speak the language that says Yolele. Uh, a nomadic, that's the largest nomadic group in the world. Hmm. Oh, yes, they, they're much larger than the gypsies and, and you name it. So, and they've been around, they, they heard us. And what I, um, I, I liked, the connection for me, was the, the nomadic aspect, the fact that they transcend borders. And uh, Yolele Foods has the, the ambition to transcend borders and to introduce a new food culture, not only for you, know, but other ingredients and other just our food culture to the rest of the world. So, All right, interesting. So that's Yolele. And your new restaurant, Tananga. Teranga. Teranga. Teranga, Teranga yes. And that means? That means that translates in wall of hospitality. And hospitality in uh, the wall of culture, in the Senegalese culture, is probably the, the one of the most important values. You know, we uh, it it just much much more than hospitality. It's a way of life. It's like a way you you greet the foreigners, the guests, the expected or not expected. The person comes to your country or comes to your house, and you have to show teranga. You have to offer food. You have to offer a drink. You have to offer the best of what you have. You know, for different reasons. One is for superstition that really deep-seated is we believe that by doing so, you receive back like much more, you know. And this is, the, I mean, you call it karma or whatever, but this is really something that Senegalese believe in deeply. So when you come to a house in Dakar, for instance, at lunchtime, people will invite you. There's, all, there's always another space at the bowl. Yeah, right? it's a bowl, exactly. They say, come and eat. And, and you must, you know, it's like, it's, it's a must, you know, it yeah. re- would be really rude if you say no. Even if you're not hungry or if you already ate, you should come and just have a bite of it because you're giving the blessings that they expect from you. That's why yeah. they invite you to. Interesting, yeah. yeah. Well, um, speaking of the, the um, a lot of the myths attached to it, there are a lot of myths attached to... Fonio mm-hmm. over the centuries, mm-hmm. right? What can you talk about some of those, some of the myths? That oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There are a few of them uh, I particularly like. You know, in the south where I'm from, you know, my 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 uh, the people from that region called the Jola people or the, and the Mandinka people, they had this belief that Fonio would, would protect you from the evil eye. You know, hmm. so so sometimes children. Going to school, their mother would put a small bag of fonio in their in their school bags, you know, as a, as a protection. To so it's, them. it's like it's very it's a very superstition uh, superstitious uh, society, and um, and and you see it further west, going to, further east, going towards Mali. You have the Dogon people, which is also an ancient culture. They live in the in the in the mountains, Banjagara, uh, and the Dogon people in their mythology they call fonio the seed of the universe. They believe that the universe sprouted from a seed of fonio, so that's like hmm. how important that grain is. You know, they call it po, and that's like also the same meaning. And that can go on and on all the way to ancient Egypt, where you see fonio being in burial grounds in ancient Egypt. They so found they found they fa- they little found bags fonio, or bowls of fonio. Of fonio, so huh, that's like interesting. They, the disease would travel with fonio to the afterlife. And yeah, so, yeah, very interesting. Mm-hmm. And here you are using this little super grain, ancient seed, to try to save that whole section of the well, the Sahel, which is this drought-prone 
yes. region, as you said, both between the Sahara and and the southern. Uh, yeah, all the way region. from the Atlantic Ocean to the Red Sea. I mean, like that whole brand, band that whole is, band is threatened by the desert. So a, a crop like Fonio is is great not only because it's drought resistant, but it has deep roots. And those deep roots tend to fixate the soil and like bring back the topsoil. So when you harvest fonio, you just like just help regenerate the soil. You know when you grow fonio in that region. So for for all those reasons, yeah, we yeah. hope to to make fonio a world class crop. So it's fonio. You have to look for it. It's F is in Frank. O N I O. Fonio. Fonio. Yeah. Easier to and say fo- than quinoa. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and and I have easier a, than quinoa. Easier than quinoa. Absolutely. <laughs> And my next book is dedicated solely on Fonio. It's coming out in September this year. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. With Lake Isle Press, yeah. Oh, terrific. So you'll have recipes and recipes, history and a little bit of everything about agriculture, it. Agriculture, recipes, the whole... Great. Yeah, so it's going to And Yolele Foods, Yolele, mm-hmm. uh, do you, you sell other things as well, not just Fonio, or is it... Or is it at the moment, it's only Fonio. Only Fonio. But we are coming from Fonio Seeds to fonio chips and uh, different mixes of fonio that are coming up and the next uh, the next crop we'll be introducing is bambara beans it's also a crop that's disappearing bambara, sure yeah, yeah i've heard and, about that uh, yes. and speaking of different things fonio this and that and chip fonio chips and then you have to have some fonio beer to go with it oh, yes. <laughs> <So laughs> I, I just forgot. yeah i just read about that the other day because there's a uh, the museum of food and drink here in, in new york city is doing a special um uh, African uh, dinner and a gala to, for the museum, mm-hmm. and one of the brewers has made a fonio beer. Yes, right? fermented the grains. Totally, Brooklyn Brooklyn uh, breweries. That's all over. Yeah, they, they they came up with a. We talked about it for some time. There is a tradition of fonio uh, beer in in West Africa, particularly in uh, in Burkina Faso. They call it chapalo, and chapalo is like uh, you know with fonio with millet most of the time. And uh, Brooklyn uh, Brewery, Garrett Oliver, Garrett, yeah. Garrett actually had this idea of trying to do it with Fonio. And uh, the first time he tried it, he was so amazed by the, the result. And we, we we met and we did a tasting and it was absolutely, absolutely <laughs> delicious. So now we're starting the second big batch of Fonio that's going to be launched at the, at the Moffat Gala. And I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to meet him right after this interview. So I'm excited. <laughs> Where there's a grain and a brewer, they will they will ferment the grain, right? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's just very exciting. It's just a, a very exciting project that you're involved in, and and keep trying to keep the grain uh, with the with the West African farmers. I think that's that's so important. You've seen absolutely. you know the failures of other. Um, of other products and how you intend to help one region and yet then you, you kind of ruin it. This is really good that you have this this um, attention to yes. know, to yeah. the to the population and to the farmers and totally. I mean that's the whole point. Really it starts with that and uh, another way to protect it as well is we even try working on keeping the appellation for you. Limited to that region, you know, hmm. so, so that's another way of protecting it as well. Yeah, it's a and it's a very light. It's a very light fonio. I mean, you look at the grains and they sort of grayish uh-huh. colored, a little you know speckled, different you know colors. But it cooks up very, very white with a little grayish tinge to it. But yeah, white and fluffy. Fluff is. I mean, I said so delicate. I mean, it's just oh, yeah. you, you don't even realize at first that they're all individual grains on your tongue. It's yeah, just yeah, uh, very, very and, interesting. And, and another great aspect is it digests so easily. Have you noticed how? Mm. You can 
eat like lots of fonio and, and just go jogging right after because it's like it digests really easily. Don't jog, didn't try that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I'll have to get on the elliptical. I'll try. Um, and it's but the nutrition nutritional content is that's very high in protein as well. Absolutely, right? absolutely. It's like particularly rich in, in two amino acids that are called cysteine and methionine. And those amino acids are like uh, usually deficient in grains. You know, in most grains, it has it in, and fonio has it in abundance. So that's a, a great aspect of fonio, besides also being gluten-free and all those other things that you see, particularly that you see with whole grains that come with whole grain. Mm-hmm. And the, the, these two amino acids, fonio has it in abundance. It's, it's also low on the glycemic index, which is which is a very good for diabetics diet. Right. And, right. And, uh, celiac disease. So listeners can find you and your product at yolelefoods.com? Yes. Y-O-L-E-L-E foods.com. Pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Pierre, thank you so much for you, sharing Linda. all this information. And best of luck to you. And you have to, we'll have to look for the book. What's the book going to be called yet, you know? It's called Fonio. Oh, that's pretty easy. <laughs> called Fonio. Fonio, right. the cookbook. <laughs> the cookbook. Okay. Pierre Chum, what a pleasure. Thank and you, Linda. I hope that um, everyone goes out and gets the taste of this grain. Ancient grain that's going to help... Uh, Help! It's going to survive in these regions and help a whole population of people. Yes. Thank you so much. You're welcome. And thank you for listening. I'm your host, Linda Palaccio, and this has been another Taste of the Past. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.